coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. What's weird about this phenomenon is like, you know, with with UFOs and stuff, there's weird things that can happen in the sky and, you know, there's all sorts of phenomenon that could explain it. But when you see something like this, it's like... It's either crazy person, hoax, or this thing is real. Yeah, but even the hoax stuff, like the way they move and how fast they are, it's like they're not human. And at some of these places where these things are seen are remote. Like the idea that there's someone out hoaxing that's out in the middle of the woods. That's ridiculous. I mean, at some point you got to say like, that's more improbable. It's real. But there's the fear. Yeah. It's feeding off of this fear, right? It's not that they're eating people. If you got a good vending machine, you know, yeah, that's giving you food, you're not going to attack the vending machine. You need it to keep giving you the food. Maybe we don't taste good. I taste good. Ugh. That sounds odd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I taste good. <laughs> I taste like Diet Pepsi and Taco Bell. Oh, Deerfield, Wisconsin, a horse was found dead with its throat torn out. The thing about the cougar is the only prints they found on the property were dog prints because the prints had claws and cougars generally walk with their claws retracted. How cool would it be to have retractable claws? Pretty cool. Wolverine cool. That hurt though. What would you do with that though? Like Freddy Krueger. Talk about peacocking. Yeah, seriously. Hey ladies. Ching. You're at a bar fight and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, they'd walk away. Well, it could be that the dog man, they've been here forever. Yeah. Instead of being transdimensional, maybe they're in small numbers and they just can't make themselves known. Right. What do they do during the day, though? It's not like they're going to write a novel. Or... Well, if they're talking to each other, they're obviously like, they wear trench coats. Well, some do. But what do they do all day? Plot? I think, I think they're just having to try to survive underground in society. The sinocephalite, the trench coat, cigarette smoking dog man, I think, they can't just walk around on the street. They're just frustrated. Like, man, I'm really tired of being here. This is really boring. I can't really... <laughs> mingle with anyone and we're alone. Probably just go to furry conventions. Great costume. (laughs) Conspiracy. Synchronicity. Sasquatch. Homunculus. Alien races. Satanism in Hollywood. MK Ultra. Tartaria. There's like a whole, I've been watching this one guy. Close the door, in. Jeremy, close your door. What's the uh, inner earth disagreements? Ghost Dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman. Bohemian Grove. Corey Feldman. Magicians are demons. Spectres. Spirits. Sleep paralysis. Strange disappearances. Sky whale phenomena. Yes. Alternative history. Shadow people. Shh, quiet. I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. Anunnaki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf towers. I would never talk about. That's old. Y2K. Cover-ups. Apocalyptic catastrophe. Vampire. Hi. Hi. Well, hello. Hello. Well, hello, hello. Happy Halloween. <laughs> this will come out for Halloween, Yeah, right? this will be the Halloween oh, wow. episode. That's kind of weird. I thought we were going to do a little, something a little more special for Halloween. This is uh, Halloween. It's not, not special. But you mean I, like a Halloween extravaganza? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we did that last year. I know. Uh, I forget what the theme was last year. Do you remember? Was it Halloween stories? Listener stories. Oh, oh we did right. listener stories. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we just did a listener stories episode. 
So I didn't want to no, do it. I think it's fair. I just kind of snuck up on me. Totally took the punch out of it. I was going to get in this whole mood. <laughs> so anyway, it's almost Halloween. <laughs> this is definitely going to be a Halloween-ish feel, but it's not like this is our Halloween episode is what I meant. Or maybe it is. Maybe I just this didn't know it's our Halloween, Halloween episode. episode. I didn't know that. I was going to yeah. get into like the Halloween season <laughs> description and everything. Oh, sorry. I kind of totally, it, I did take the window. That. It's like a balloon pop. You did. <laughs> okay. So it is that time of year. Right, yes, Chris? Yes. My favorite time of year. There you go. When the something in the wind that's strange. Yes. When the shadows in your neighborhood are a little darker. They actually technically get darker as we get closer to Christmas because it gets darker. Well, they get longer. Right. I mean, like supernaturally, they get darker, like in an evil way. Oh, yeah, of totally, totally, way. totally. Yeah. You're right. You know that time when you drive a little faster past the graveyard? That's not true. You don't do that? What? Yeah. I, I'm going to stop interrupting though. Because <laughs> this is the time that the veil <laughs> is lifting. It'd be funny to go to Chris, like a shot of him and he like accelerates past the, he's like, oh God, here we go past the graveyard again. So a little again. more anxious passing the graveyard. This is that season where stuff can happen, where spooky stuff mm-hmm. is more likely to occur. We talked about this last year. I mean, every Halloween, we kind of talk about this. The veil lifting. Right. Closer to Sawin, Halloween, All Hallows Eve. It is that time of year. Yeah, for sure. Until spring again, it's just kind of a darker... Yeah, this is the transition period. This is why the Catholic Church moved All Saints Day from like May, because they wanted to incorporate that pagan idea of Samhain. Which makes sense, because if you're going to celebrate the dead, you'd want to do it when everything's dying. You know, Mm -hmm. so it works better anyway. Okay, yeah, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's that transition time. If you want to be sad about it. Well, you're celebrating the transition You know, I actually had an interesting thought I was going to mention about this. The the idea of everything dying, right? Mm -hmm. Like the leaves are dying as they fall off the tree. Well, not so in my mind. I kind of had this revelation the other day that leaves aren't, they're not their own life form, right? Leaves can't die. That's not true. They're extensions of the tree. They have like living cells in each one. It's true, but like your finger doesn't die. It could get cut off and fall, but that's not a natural thing for leaves. It's part Think of, about all the living cells within the, the leaf, leaf yeah. though. That but you have, li- you have living cells in your fingernails yeah. or your, you know, parts of you, like skin cells that fall off your body. I see what my you're point, saying. My though. point is, is that that's, it's, we think about it as the leaves are dying, like it's kind of a sad death. But in reality, the tree is shedding for winter to clothe its roots in a warm layer of protective leaves to keep itself warm through the cold oh, that's winter. Nice. I is like that, that true? I don't know. But, but isn't it an interesting idea? Like, I like it. It's just a changing part of life yeah. process, but nothing's really dying. And the tree's like, I'm cold, shiver. Yeah. And then the leaves are like, I'm going to drop my leaves to protect my roots. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. No, I, it's a different way of looking at it. Yeah. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. It is that time of year where the smell of dying leaves or changing leaves. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're on their way out right now. Yeah. We're getting closer to the darkness of winter. Mm-hmm. More dark times. Yeah. More mysterious times. But speaking of that veil lifting and the season change, it makes one think of doorways. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of the things coming through. And that's kind of what this episode's about. I mean, this is Return of Dogman. But there is a heavy undertone of a slipping into this reality from other realities. It's sort of an undertone of this episode, sort of an undertone of the Dogman phenomenon in general. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to kind of do a focus in on that, the connection between graveyards, boundary areas, and sightings of these crazy things. And if you guys haven't heard our Dogman episode from season one, definitely check it out. Yeah, Dogman is a subject near and dear to, I think, all of our hearts. 
and uh, not me so much. Mine a lot. Mine a lot. Definitely you. Yeah, it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, and there's just such a cavalcade of Ooh, encounters. A panoply. A panoply. I think cavalcade isn't that a word for like many things. Yeah, it's like a lot. Yeah, yeah, but there are. There's a ton of reports of these kinds of sightings of this bipedal canine creature. And we, you know, through history, of course, we have the werewolf, which we're going to be discussing today because I, I mean, you know, who's interested in a werewolf? Like, not me. <laughs> Let's turn this off. It's about the same <laughs> level as Bigfoot for me. Right, right. It just seems... Maybe a little bit more. Seems so unbelievable, right? Right. So Dogman has always been fascinating because it is, just seems more like a, it's, it's less fantastic and right. more believable well, in that sense. It's funny because I listened back to a couple minutes of our episode we did before on this topic, and it's funny because even you were saying like Dogman is sort of the most unbelievable sort of. It sounds so ridiculous, right? Because of the name, and I think it's been conditioned, especially lately. More people have heard about Dogman, right? Exactly, and yeah. it's kind of like the bridge between yeah. the werewolf. Like it's kind of made yeah. its way a little bit more into like the mainstream, especially in the cryptid world, because I think you can put it in sort of a similar category, to Bigfoot, as far as like an unknown. You know, some people that want to think more biologically, an unknown physical biological animal, or some people think, well, maybe it's more of the Bigfoot that's you know more interdimensional, supernatural mm-hmm. kind of thing. But either way, I think a lot of people have an easier time digesting that that's the sort of thing it is, something other dimensional than a human that morphs into a monster. Right. The Hollywood sort of thing, you know, the werewolf. Mm -hmm. And it's funny too, because, you know, Dogman, it's not, the name is new, but it's not a new phenomenon. This idea of this like bipedal canine, that's not a therianthrope, lycanthrope. It's not transitioning between, you know, man and wolf. It's its own thing. Like they're going back to 1944. Remember the Dwyo we talked about Mm -hmm. in our expansion episode um, for members about the Snallygaster. And his oh, yeah. mortal enemy in Maryland, this area, was something called the Dwyer, which is essentially a upright walking canid dogman. Right. But it was specific to that area in Maryland. Back in the 40s is when the first sighting happened in Frederick County. It was reported through the 60s and 70s and then up into the 80s. Then we get into modern dogman time frame. Right. But the Dwyer was a sort of a colonial American. It was, it was brought over from Europe, right? Was that, it Germany? No, that that actually was the Hexenwolf. And oh, it was that's in, something. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, I think. From the 1800s, the Pennsylvania Dutch settled in that area and they started experiencing something that they called the Hexen Wolf. And that's why you see those quilts on the sides of barns, the stars. The that Hexen was such stars. a good episode, that expansion episode. Yeah, we covered that. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. That was really interesting, but it covers the, uh, the whole lore of that. But so the Dogman's been with us for a long time, even though we haven't had that term until really until what was it, the 80s with the Michigan Dogman, the, the legend, that song that they did on the radio. I guess the legend's been around longer. Point is, it's been here for a while. Yeah. But in history, of course, the more common kind of character that we see like this is the werewolf. And through my research of the dogman, I just kept running into like good werewolf story. Like that's surprising. Compelling. Of course there's I have some accounts from history of werewolves, tribes of wolfmen. And we think about like we've talked about before, like the berserkers, the Nordic warriors, mm-hmm. right? They would wear wolf pelts and some believe they would shapeshift or take a like the Navajo yeah. in the American Southwest. Well, the skinwalkers, same yeah. idea. There's all these these pelt shifters. I think Pliny the Elder, someone talked about the basically they could change pelts, but it meant their skins. Mm-hmm. They could transform. And this goes all this goes back That's to neat. Greek, Roman. I have coming up some Irish werewolf warriors. That's, I think it's pretty interesting, and it ties into uh, the time of the year it is today, Halloween. You guys seen the movie Dog Soldiers? Why did, Dude, you, why did you ask about that? Because Mr. Nathan, 
told me about it the other day. Wow. Wow. Another synchronicity. We man. tried to watch that last two nights, but really? we just we've been researching so we haven't had time. Huh. But I heard it's That's really weird. good. Yeah, no, it's supposed to be like pretty creepy. Yeah. Like the good, you know, like kind of um not CGI stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think it's puppetry plus costume. Right. Oh, the best. Pretty creepy wolf. Dude, I saw though. the wolf. Yeah. Dude, it looks creepy. We'll, yeah, we'll put that in the show. Like super too. tall too. Yeah, just like in the. I mean, descriptions of Dogman yeah. and werewolves. You, uh-huh. That's usually like seven yeah, to ten feet. It's actually free on YouTube, but it's like kind of low quality. Probably illegal. Oh, okay. I might actually like rent it. Anyways, uh, yeah, like it, it takes place in the Scottish Highlands where there is this lore of the werewolf, mm-hmm. and a lot of you know it's funny because in the UK and Britain. And Ireland, especially, the lore has been around for a long time, but you don't know that because wolves have been basically removed from the area for generations. Yeah, there was a whole other guy I was going to get into his book called um, Truth Proof, uh, The Truth That Leaves No Proof, but he goes deep into this stuff about the Flixen werewolf, um, really fascinating stuff, but there's so much lore for, you know, last 900 years. Um, I might read just a quick quote from Paul Sinclair about this time period where there was this concern about these beasts that are sweeping across Europe that are basically eating people. Yeah, that's an interesting story because his kind of idea, which is what we're getting into this episode, is the window area. This idea that like, we'll put links in the show notes to his videos, but he does a lot of good research on the ground. He shows you the area. You can't hide really in this area as a, you know, a large bipedal canine or or a Bigfoot. Any large kind of creature wouldn't do well in this area as far as hiding because it's just, there's so much visibility. Like you'd have livestock being right. eaten to fill, you know, if this was a real corporeal animal, and I think people are seeing something there still, but it's not a physical material creature in the sense that it's, it's always here, it needs to feed. There's like a breeding population. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's more this window area where these things kind of come through. And you see this a lot where there's, like we're going to talk about um, Jefferson County, the weird square yeah. of Jefferson County, where... There's not only dogman sightings happening frequently in the same kind of time period and area, but you also have uh, flying entities that are seen, winged creatures on the side of the road with red glowing eyes. Yeah. Um, you have, uh, we'll get into it, but yeah, anyways, but that's the concept, the, the window areas, right? Yeah. These things that can exist, but not necessarily in the way that we think that they should as far as like an actual physical creature. Yeah. And there's a great quote I want to read here real quick from John Keel about the window area. He was one of the first people to kind of discuss this concept. But he said, From time to time, the playful inhabitants of that other world climb through the curtain in the areas we call windows, and they stalk us to drink our blood and create all kinds of mischievous beliefs and misconceptions in our feeble little terrestrial minds. Well, and this other idea of the, like the Cheyenne dog soldiers, the idea that they could shift, the skinwalker can change. And a skinwalker is connected to black magic and a lot of darkness, but I think the Cheyenne specifically, it was a protective group of dog soldiers where they could transform but you know they don't attack i guess with their lore it's if you are a moral good person and you are not doing harm you won't be attacked and you know so often you hear in these like superheroes yeah they're yeah exactly yeah dog soldiers that's kind of cool yeah but that's what's interesting about that kind of concept of this you know usually dark idea is that yeah kind of that parallel in dogman encounters Mm -hmm. a lot where there isn't an attack but there's the fear yeah and that's why i think we're dealing with several different things here the fear that seems to be pulled from people when they experience something like this, almost like it's feeding off of this fear, right? It'll summon you to the window with a grin on its face to just give you this sense of dread, this kind of terror that is created in the, quote, victim or the person that mm-hmm. experiences this. That seems to be the purpose. It's not that they're eating people or that they're attacking people. It seems that they are feeding off the fear. And this is kind of a point that Chris and I talked about the other day, but why aren't there attacks? Why are people being killed? Well, if you got a good vending machine, you know, yeah, it's giving you food. 
you're not going to attack the vending machine. You're not going to break the vending machine. You need it to keep giving you the they're food. Kind of, they're kind of the like fear, the fear Santa pockets. Claus. They're always watching for naughty and nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, and so that's generally, I think that what we're seeing and hearing about is more of a malevolent hmm. entity, a, more of a maybe transdimensional. These don't fall in line with cryptid. I mean, there are some, like I believe that the, the sinocephali or the sinocephalus, however you say it. Um, sinocephalus? Sinocephalus, sexy. Uh, sinocephali, that's going back to ancient times, this idea of uh, this group of dog-headed people that lived in Africa and India that was reported by Herodotus and Stesis, or however you say his name. Um, and I was gonna, actually was going to do my part of the episode on going deep into the sinocephali and those people, because I do believe, which I'm not going to do, maybe for another time, but it's not spooky enough right now, because the point... Yeah, they were kind of nice. Well, that's the kind of the point. It's like, that's a different thing. And we do, we have talked before in our Dogman episode and other episodes about these upright walking canids that are seen like wearing trench coats, smoking cigarettes or, or babbling in a kind of a broken bark yip kind of voice. It's like their language and they're caught at, you know, unawares at trailer parks, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, I do believe that there is a good chance that there are remnants of the sinocephali civilization, as crazy as it sounds, uh, that maybe are living on the outskirts (laughs) Wearing trench coats, hiding out, you know, uh, yeah. just basically being this ancient lost tribe of man dog, dog man. There's a lot of good research on that. And I would like to do an episode maybe at some point on that. We'll link in the show notes our, our previous episode on that. What do they just do all day? Probably just try to like get by, you know? They like go to their jobs. Yeah. Like landscaping. <laughs> well, that's, they probably work freelance now online. <laughs> yeah. They're like computer engineers. <laughs> yeah, dude, like, they probably have like their actual pictures and people are like, oh, cool avatar, bro. Is that like a dog head? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> like it's me. I can't tell anybody. Yeah. I've got, and I've got a pretty wild explanation coming up at the end for what some of these things could be that involves remote viewing. Mm-hmm. And um, some, uh, I'm not going to get into it because it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Pretty. But I'm going to save it for the end. But I do like, speaking of that, uh, when it comes to the ones that scare you, what is the purpose behind this? The um, nasties. Yeah, I like what Nick Redfern says about this. In his book, Memoirs of a Monster Hunter, he says, I had come to the conclusion that Bigfoot, aliens, lake monsters, and a plethora of other biological things were all in reality nothing but ingeniously crafted smokescreens and projected imagery behind which devilishly cunning and devious creatures operated in stealth within our environment, reputedly known by the witches and wizards of old England millennia ago as Cormans. They were emotion-sucking vampires from some unholy realm, topo-like creatures whose existence in our world was inextricably and somewhat precariously linked to our willingness to believe in them. Well, it's interesting because that is what we always talk about, right? is that it does seem like these different entities, whether it be like the old hag, the shadow people, dogman, dogman, all these creatures that can't really be... I think the only one that's not a part of that generally might be Bigfoot, but this idea that their sole purpose seems to be to scare you or to confound you. To confound, yeah, but I think, I don't know, that fear fuel that yeah, we always talk about, right. I do think you need to starve your goals. I do think that, you know, especially around this time of year, Halloween, it seems like it almost celebrates that. But that, mm-hmm. that idea that there are these things, what were they called? Corn cobs? Cormans. Cormans. Corn cobs. Um, <laughs> that's not scary. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. It, it, I mean, it's definitely like, that is a pattern that we've we've talked about so often. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that Nick would see that too. Good job, Nick. So speaking of the window area, speaking of boundaries, speaking of the connection, and this, I think one of the most interesting aspects is a lot of these dogman type stories, these experiences that people are witnessing are related to graveyards, which I think is fascinating, especially yeah. when you think about like uh, Anubis, you know, and um, the old stories of Padfoot in Europe and um, 
demon dogs and that sort of idea. So I'm going to do the first one here. And it's also one of the first um, accounts that Linda Godfrey received. And it's one of the earliest accounts in the States, I think, that's describing this sort of dog man. So, okay, what you're suggesting here is that there is a connection between these entities and specifically graveyards. Yeah. Something's popping in my head and I can't remember where I heard this. But when I was looking at a dog man, deep dog man research back in the day, there was something to this connection with the graveyard. A lot of dogmen seen running through the graveyard, uh, jumping in and out of the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Just seemed to be a place. Oh, and that's what I was thinking of, the uh, freaking Stephen King HBO show. The other, or, or what was it called? The Stranger? The Boogeyman one? Yeah, yeah, with the Co- El Coco. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. He would hang around graveyards because it enjoyed the uh, the grief. Like right. it would, you know, that was its fuel, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? But that it's kind of interesting. It's similar to that fear idea. I like being sad. <laughs> Not his own grief, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's really feeling for him. His family's buried there. Oh, bother. All right, sorry. Not to, no, that's okay. To make that well, I mean, if you, connection if, more clear. if you look at that history, there's so much that comes to dogs and, and guardian spirits or collectors of lost souls or eaters of the dead. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of European folklore and things like that. So there's always this connection of graveyards and dogs. Anubis, the Egyptian god of death, mm-hmm. but it's always that, is it uh, something that's there to, is it a tormentor or is it something that's a guide, that kind of thing. Right. So, um, But terrifying either way. And so let's get into it. So this first story um, to set up the scene here occurred in a place called Jefferson County, Wisconsin, a sort of window area. So in Jefferson County, Wisconsin, uh, there's been a lot of crazy stuff, as Jeremy kind of mentioned earlier. And this is where our first story takes place in 1936. And um, Linda Gottfried sets it up here in her book, Real Werewolves, The True Encounters in Modern America. The square of weirdness includes the historic remains of an ancient indigenous walled city with pyramidal buildings now open to the public as Aztalan State Park. The site was an outpost of the mysterious Mississippian people around 1000 to 1300 AD and also contained ancient burial mounds which is a very common thing when it comes to these sightings. Also in this area is Rock Lake, which local residents have long believed to harbor a water monster and whose bottom is dotted with controversial stone, quote, teepees. The lake's naturally dark and murky waters have made the legends hard to prove or disprove. And a country lane just a few miles down Highway 18 from St. Coletta, which is where our story will take place, called Paradise Road is considered by local teens to be haunted. In 2005, a young woman and her boyfriend reported seeing a huge humanoid winged creature standing on the shoulder of that road as they drove past. She described the red-eyed thing as demonic. So this is where our first story takes place, and it's a doozy. This account comes from Linda's book here, and this is, uh, I think, pretty excellent. Linda Godfrey, preeminent researcher of the Wolfman-Dogman phenomena. Yes. And her whole thing started with Bray Road, but I didn't want to get super into that because a lot of people know that story. We might do an episode on that down oh, the way. We're going to talk about Bray Road. Oh, are we? That's the clip I have, the news oh, clip. Oh, okay, okay. Because I've never heard... Uh, well, we, our friends at Small Time Monsters did a great documentary on the Beast of Bray Road, and we'll link that in the show notes. But um, yeah, I just happened to come across, when I was looking at dogman stories and werewolves, I came across an actual uh, news clip from Inside Edition where I heard some firsthand accounts around that time of people that saw it. So I thought that was really interesting. So we'll just, it's a short clip we'll play later. But yeah, let's get into her first uh, first story here. Cool. Okay, so this story comes from uh, a devout Catholic security guard from St. Coletta, uh, which was a school for developmentally disabled children. And he kept the story secret for six decades. Uh, it originally happened in 1936, and it would go on to terrify him for years later. Mark Shackleman is the guard. 
The night watchman's main duty was to make quiet surveillance of the 174-acre grounds embellished with gardens, orchards, and religious statuary. The school's acreage had been groomed for sacred purposes by others long before it belonged to St. Coletta. The land was dotted with ancient Native American burial mounds and also lay on five or six miles southeast of the site that is now Astalan State Park, famous for its mysterious flat-topped earthen pyramids. One evening, movement on a mound behind the main building drew the sharp-eyed watchman's attention as he observed what appeared to be a large animal digging furiously atop the raised earth. The creature was roughly man-sized, covered in dark fur, and knelt in a way that should have been physically impossible for a four-footed beast. It then rose on two feet and fled as soon as it noticed Shackleman's presence. The flummoxed watchman examined the mound the next day and saw that the earth had been torn by what looked like big claw marks with raking slashes in sets of three. That night, he made sure to arm himself with a big club-like flashlight before making his rounds. Sure enough, the creature was there again, digging in the mound near midnight. This time, however, it rose up on its hind legs and faced Shackleman. It stood about six feet tall, eyeball to eyeball, with the six-foot-one-inch Shackleman, and it reeked of rotten meat. Shackleman bravely shined his light at the creature so that he could get a good long look at it. Although it was covered in fur, Shackleman could make out powerful arms that ended in hands, with thumbs and pinky fingers that were much smaller than the middle digits, explaining the triple slashes in the dirt. It had a muscular torso and a caned head with a muzzle and pointed ears. Perhaps most surprisingly of all, the creature made a growling vocalization that Shackleman later described as a neo-human voice, and that sounded to him like three syllables. The creature continued to make fearless eye contact with Shackleman, who felt he was in imminent and mortal danger. His instincts told him to pray, and as Shackleman stood there, beseeching God for deliverance, the creature turned and walked into the night, still upright. Shackleman said that the creature's disgusting odor lingered long after the animal had disappeared, and that it was not any ordinary creature. Although he worked at St. Coletta for several more years, he never saw the beast again. Uh, that's a creepy story. Yeah. It sounds very uh, Egyptian to me, that three-syllable thing that John imitated there. Gadara. Gadara. It does. What does neo-human mean? Uh, it means like early human, I believe, or... Good question. Or, or super other, cool human. Other than human? Keanu Reeves human, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, well, the Ra sounds Egyptian. Well, let's see, neo-pagan would be what? Like... New? New human. Okay, so neo-humans known commonly as neos mm. for short are a genetically advanced branch of humanity defined by many scientific communities as, quote, deviant subspecies. A new human. Of human. Each naturally born with superhuman powers. What? Ooh. <laughs> Some are recognized by their peculiar eye colors. Thought to be linked through racial wait, wait, radical. This comes from valverse.fandom. Okay, that's uh, some sort of uh, comic book thing. Yeah. Uh, Neo human, I think she just means in that respect, or he he meant um, not human, human other human than human. Like, human like, right. yeah. Transcendental. Or some variation of human. Right. Yeah, we like, get it. You know, you know it's we like, get it. It'd be like a branch off of human, yeah. maybe early human. Yeah, or, or post. I don't, I don't know. Some <laughs> subset or variation of their said. Yes, exactly. Non-human, but humanish, humanoid. Right. 
Anyway, human but not human. Un- very unsettling. Yeah. Either way, that story of this dark thing up on the mound, this burial mound. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like too, since he's he seems to be like one of those salt of the earth type people. Yeah, exactly. You know? He told his son, and that's who related the story. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So she continues on. For many years, the only person Mark had ever told about his encounter was his wife, Flora, who asked him to never speak of it again to anyone. Which would make sense, especially in 1936. You're not going to, you want to tell people that you saw a giant wolf man. Smart move, Flora. In 1958, Mark Shackleman developed an esophageal hernia that ruptured and required surgery, believing his death was imminent. And since his wife had passed away several years earlier, he told his son, Joe, that he wanted to get a big secret off his chest. He then told Joe the story of his nightmarish St. Coletta encounter. Joe protected his father's secret for several more decades, keeping the story mostly to himself telling only a few family members in all that time, and Joe absolutely believed his father was truthful. Mark Shackleman, after all, was a devout Catholic and a former heavyweight boxer. He was not the type given to telling tall tales. Joe could not have guessed that his father's experience would prove a bellwether event that decades later could be seen as the start of a long cavalcade. Hey, your words, your cavalcade. Yeah. Of unknown canine appearances, not just across Wisconsin, but far beyond. The St. Coletta biped's attitude and behavior foreshadowed the way most of the creatures would act in the great mass of sightings to follow. Mark Shackleman was the first of many witnesses to use the word sneer to describe the beast's expression and condescending mien. He told his son, quote, that damn thing came straight out of hell. Yeah, maybe it's like a demon of some sort. Yeah, that comes out a lot. Yeah, well, there's there's so many connections to religious sites. That makes sense. So that's definitely an argument that's made religious sites, these graveyards, churches. Well, the sneer that he that they just mentioned here, like that, yeah, it's the first time that it's been recorded that that's that kind of appearance you get. And we've talked about dogman stories like this before, but so frequently it seems as though it's smiling and enjoying the fright. Your pain, yeah. Exactly. And that it does have a very demonic feeling. And you get, of course, you get the glowing eyes. And, yeah, I mean, you know, demons enjoy suffering. Yeah. That's kind of their purpose. Well, and if you consider it being another you know, entity from just beyond this dimension or something that does feed on mm-hmm. fear and dark, like that energy is their fuel, then it's, you know, it's kind of demon, fear eater, trans-dimensional entity. Fear eater. You know, they're all kind of the same sounds thing. sounds like a movie. It does. So, yeah. Fear eater. But, you know, remember that uh, movie Event Horizon, Sam Neill? Oh, yeah. In his skin package? Great movie. Um, Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Great his movie. Sack of skin. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that he, we talked about that, like one of our first episodes. He has that like <laughs> it's like a cup or something, but it's like flesh colored because it's part of his costume. <laughs> when he jumps down naked, it's like oh, a yeah. slow motion video of it. That's <laughs> awesome. But uh, what does that have to do with Dogman? So in this movie, there are all these you know creatures coming in essentially from like the hell dimension, but it's it's just another dimension right. over. But it's essentially hell. Yeah, they create like they, a wormhole within their ship to move through space and time, but they end up in sort of a hell dimension. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing as like Hellraiser, where these these entities from this other realm just enjoy that kind of fear and right. pain and um, creepy stuff. But yeah. I mean, thank God we just have Dogmen. Dogmen isn't, isn't quite as terrifying as the, the Event I mean, they, Horizon they, they concept. Would, they are terrifying if you, I mean, just imagine being approached by a 10-foot oh, yeah, tall, sure. like smiling monster with fangs. Well, just, this one wasn't 10-foot tall. This one, no. Six to seven feet? Six to seven feet. Still, though. Little baby. Uh, you know, muscular arms. Like knowing like you couldn't do head. anything. Yeah. You know? Seeing a, you know, even a large, regular dog is pretty, can be scary oh, yeah. if it's, you know, looking yeah, now, at your own. If it's standing on its two feet and it has an intelligent yeah. look. It's and smiling. It's an angry, sort of sneering expression. All you can do is pray. Yeah, pretty much. Or uh, throw a bone. And if it's a <laughs> demon and you pray, maybe that is the only way you can... Save yourself. Save yourself. Although, according to these stories, no one is really ever attacked. 
There's, it's just the well, fear. Again, we go back to like, well, how do you know? I mean, in these ones. True. Yeah. There have been alleged attacks. And I mean, there was one story of someone was, really rare was cut by a fang, but right. not the stories always. They don't have the ability to attack for some reason. Maybe they're bound. Well, I like what Jeremy said earlier yeah. about the idea of the vending machine. Like if it's constantly giving you uh, the fear, that's what you're feeding on. You don't need to destroy the vending machine to satisfy yourself. You want it to keep giving you fear. Well, do they need meat too? Mate? Meat. Yeah, I mean, there definitely have been yeah, accounts of carrying like a... They smell like rotten meat. Maybe they're not allowed to eat humans though. Well, this is the thing yeah. and this is going to come up later, but in, in the research... Maybe um, we don't taste good. Maybe. Go ahead. We probably taste really good. Or a salty. I taste good. Um, Ugh. That sounds odd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I taste good. <laughs> I've tasted myself all the time. I taste like Diet Pepsi and Taco oh, Bell. gosh. I've tasted myself. Um, anyway... No, but that the idea of God, what were we just talking about? I had a really good point. You made a good point. Um, oh, the eating. You're right. There's many sightings of not these things eat. eating roadkill, but yeah, not eating people. Beast of Bray Road, eating roadkill on the side of the yeah, road. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, and one of the aspects we're going to get into later is the idea that whatever these things are coming through, maybe from another realm, maybe yeah, maybe they're allowed to attack, maybe feed while they're here in material form. That's the thing. There's a there's a native belief, and I forget which culture. We'll get to it later on. But the idea is that. These things come into this reality to feed on animals. That's why you see them feeding on animals, but then they blip back into their, the spirit world, quote unquote, or if we would say today, their dimension or their other, yeah. you know, um, parallel realm or well, it whatever. It might be the brief time that they're here, but that they th need through the window, they yeah, need to eat. They, and I forget which native culture it is, but the idea is that they're, they're spirit entities, mm -hmm. but they do come into our world to feed for energy, but they exist primarily in the spirit form. Yeah. Well, speaking of attacks that were you were just talking about, the um, Gadara incident in 1936 in that same area, which is this weird square of Jefferson County, right? Jefferson County, Wisconsin. In more recent times, in uh, 2011, actually, in Deerfield, Wisconsin, so right in that area, uh, a horse was found dead with its throat torn out. In Wisconsin? Yeah, uh, same area. It's this strange window area. And so... No cougars there. The interesting thing is that, well, there are occasional cougars, I think, or that's a, that's a possibility... But um, the DNR, the Department of Naval Reinforcements, what is DNR? Natural Resources. Natural Resources. They came out and had some interesting statements about the attack that uh, pointed to, well, let's see, one thing, for instance, was um, a veterinarian on site, Renee Reynolds. She said that uh, something killed this horse, powerful enough to kill it with one swipe. <laughs> Took out the cardioid and juggler with one swipe. That could be a cougar, right? The cut was too deep for the horse to have accidentally cut itself on something. She also stated that no structure or machinery that could have caused such an incident was found in the vicinity. The thing about the cougar is the only prints they found on the property were dog prints because the prints had claws and cougars generally walk with their claws retracted, whereas dogs, you know, have their claws always out. So the prints didn't match. They did find prints, but only dog tracks and they didn't report what size specifically Another interesting thing about the attack and not being characteristic of a cougar attack is that there were no other marks. Traditionally, there's, you know, other claw marks um, or dragging of the, the corpse or whatever. Yeah. How cool would it be to have retractable claws? Pretty cool. Yeah. Wolverine cool. Doesn't that hurt, though? <laughs> <laughs> what would you do with that, though? Just show people. <laughs> like Freddy Krueger. Talk about peacocking. Yeah, seriously. Hey, ladies. Ching. You're at a bar fight and you're just like... <laughs> Dude, that'd be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, they'd walk away. You think where they that's where they got speaking of cougars, where they got Freddy Krueger's name? Because it's yeah. like cougar Freddy mixed cougar. with like, mixed with like cruel. Like he's a cruel cougar. He's got these <laughs> retractable claws. A cruel cougar. Sounds like a lifetime movie. Freddy's just a cruel cougar. And then he just kept it. 
You know, I like it. Name. Anyway, so when uh, Godfrey was researching this, um, it reminded her of uh, another account in the same area in 1972. So for, just further back from that, only 15 miles away in Jefferson, Wisconsin, uh, another horse that had received a 30-inch slash in its neck. Again, the neck, but survived this time. What did it say? If it survived. The DNR at the time. It's not a cougar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was supposed to be Arnold. I'm not a cougar. Oh, it's not a tumor? <laughs> Gosh. Wow. Uh, so anyways, Linda Gottfried ended up uh, interviewing the DNR official who was on the scene in 1972 during this other slasher event. And he told her something interesting. Apparently that the owner of the, the horse had witnessed an upright, hairy humanoid on her property just before the attack. Oh, really? That's tying it together with something upright, something hairy. Something bipedal. Anyway, so then the creature had returned multiple times in 1972, and uh, the final time brazenly walked up to the front door and left several deep scratches in the siding seven feet off the ground into her front door. Oh, really? Of the house. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a cat. So then it, when it walked away, uh, the woman heard the whinnying from the horse in the horse shed. The creature then crossed the farmyard and trampled her vegetable garden. Jerk. Where it left foot-long tracks. Oh, wow. 12 inches. When the woman finally dared run outside to check on her horse, she found it had a deep 30-inch gash on its neck. 30-inch. So this Thanks. is all happening in the same window area that you mentioned earlier with that flying hominid or winged the creature right. on the side of the road. Uh, and we've had listeners calling about stuff like that, but it's all happening right in this spot. And mm-hmm. you get hear this often, this window area, these you know, these triangles, these squares, right. the, the cryptid four corners well, in this, New Mexico. This window place is Jefferson County Place. It's only 45-minute drive from Bray Road. Oh, really? The Beast of Bray Road. Hmm. Yeah. Which was uh, Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Yeah. So yeah, but let's take a break. Let's take a break. When we get back, we'll play that little clip from the Beast of Bray Road, uh, one of the really earliest incidents in modern times on record of uh, that really caused a stir of the uh, the dog man. Yeah, so go take your dog man out for a quick walk and we'll see you in a bit. And we'll get into some more graveyards and werewolves for the Halloween season. Did you miss us? I missed us. So, back into it, boys. Yeah, did you want to get into, did you want to play that clip? Yes, I do. So, yeah, we we did not plan on doing like a Beast of Bray Road episode, but this is such a important event, and I haven't seen anything on this since or before the Small Town Monsters documentary um, that was really good, but I came across this little Inside Edition clip that I thought would be interesting to play because you get to hear the voices of the people around that time experiencing it. Yeah, and you'll get to hear from Linda Godfrey who wrote the book we're covering today, Real Wolf Mentor Encounters in Modern America. Yeah, she's the go-to gal on this stuff for sure. Yeah, and it's because of the Bray Road event that uh, she even got into the whole dogman phenomenon in the yeah. first place. And one of the things, I'm not sure if they'll mention the clip, but I love the story about when she goes to interview the sheriff mm-hmm. and he pulls out a folder and on the Manila folder, it says werewolves. I guess she famously says all the time, like, you know, when sheriff of a town pulls out a Manila folder titled werewolves, you know you have a story. 
Yeah, you can't not report right. on that. Yeah, and that's it's like, a, it's like a scene out of X Files. Yeah, for and sure. Like, Here's the werewolf. Like, folder. There's enough reports and people seeing this that we have a folder on it. Right. Yeah, that's cool. That's big time. It's big time stuff. Um, all right. So yeah, let's play this clip, John. This comes from uh, Inside Edition, and this is uh, people experiencing uh, the Beast of Bray Road in their own words. I told my mom I thought I saw a werewolf, and my mom believed me. I was walking along a good probably seven to ten seconds before it had turned its head. That thing, that was no dog. That was too big to be a dog. That thing was bigger than me. That thing was stalking cornfields, jumping on cars, and feasting on roadkill. For two years, people in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, whispered about a king-sized creature who roamed Bray Road. It had really big claws. It was holding its roadkill like it had elbows. And it was kneeling on two knees, like a human being might do. Always cornfields. Eerie stories like that prompted Linda Godfrey, a reporter and cartoonist, to investigate. It was all just too bizarre not to be for real. When you live in a small town and you say you've seen something that looks like a dog man or a wolf man, you know, you're going to get some ridicule, and they did. So they had no reason to say this. Despite the ridicule, beast believers came forward in Godfrey's Beast of Bray Road article, like Doris Gibson, who'd seen it on Halloween night 1991. Halloween night, that's right. Driving down Bray Road, she had gotten out of her car when she thought she had hit an animal. It was foggy out, and I was a little bit afraid. And this big thing come just like trucking, you know? Just trucking down the road at me, man. I looked at it and I'm like, ah! And I ran, I got back in the car. You know, and before I peeled off, that thing scratched the back of the car. Tom Brichta's car was also scratched by the creature from Bray Road. My adrenaline started pumping. Um, I was scared. That guy seems legit. Mm-hmm. Like scared. But this is a creature that likes to cross county lines. Tom saw it twice on Route 106. We were having a good time and stuff. We were singing to the oldies and uh, jamming out and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I, I noticed this on the side of the road. He was big and I, he looked intimidating. I, I, I was scared of his appearance. Uh, not his personality, but. <laughs> Back on Bray Road, Lori Andreezy remembers her close encounter with the creature in 1990. I saw it kneeling on the side of the road and it was eating something. And I came up from behind it, and I slowed down because I thought it was a person at first. So I came up from behind it, and I realized it wasn't a person when I saw its pointy ears. From those descriptions, Linda drew up this composite picture of the beast. All agreed it was very big, with pointy ears and broad-chested with a shaggy coat, streaked with silver, gray, or black. It had brought its right hand up, stopped, looked over by the car, real nonchalant, and made eye contact with both Scott and I and gave like this, this sneer. Sneer? There's a sneer mm-hmm. again. Like it was challenging us. Like, you know, what are you going to do about it? You know, I'm here, you're there. I'm bigger than you are. You can't do anything about it. And he seems believable to me. Yeah. But with all the sightings, no one knew if it was man, beast, or even a combination of the two. One person simply called it God's mistake. Satan's miracle. I would assume that what they saw was some sort of an animal, probably dog-like in nature. It's probably a beaver. Either a, a, a 
moose dog or a coyote. From all the reports, it seems to be a, like a large badger of some sort. <laughs> I just said it's a big animal, and it's upset, really upset. If werewolves do exist, this is probably a werewolf. Hey, what are you doing? Once the W word was spoken, werewolf mania broke out in Elkhorn. Interesting. Yeah, and that began the whole, at least the, at least it being part of the modern vernacular. A lot of the area looked like, you know, on your way to Orville or something. Ohio, exactly. yeah, right by where we are. There was a sighting at um, Silver Creek, wasn't there? Yeah. Yes. Silver Creek. I, hike, I walk there all the time with Jake. Two sightings, actually. Yeah, Norton, Ohio. Wasn't the sighting, like, insane, too? I mean... No. Maybe I did not think. I thought it was like jumped across the road. Yeah, I mean, or yeah, in the sense, it was short though. I guess, yeah. it was, but there were two. So the guy saw it, I think, initially, like and then deer he, ran by or mm-hmm, something, and then he saw it again later that day. I believe, like a week later. We'll link that in the show notes. But that I was interested in because in, I wanted to talk to that guy. I'd like to do a short documentary on it. I think that'd be awesome to do because it's right in our neck of the woods, like two minutes from our studio. Yeah, and I tracked. There's only one sighting though. One there. There's also another one in, in um, Sand Run Metro Park. Oh, okay. It wasn't too far up in Akron. But there but was there was one in Norton earlier. With, oh, right. It was called like the the chicken stealer or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then he, this guy had heard that account and uh, shared his experience of seeing these two creatures. And we've mentioned this on the show before. Basically, he one of the experiences this deer bursts out of this cornfield, and the guy slams on his brakes, and then all of a sudden, two of these massive dogmen type creatures bound through the road in like two bounds. And then again, he has an experience like two weeks later, similar kind of thing, all on like Johnson Road, which is not all that impressive of an area, but it's that idea of like, are these win- are there window areas right next to Rogue's Hollow? Silver Creek is not that large of a, of a place. I mean, then we talked a bit about this account once before and suggested the idea that there are caves in the area, like we do, like in, yeah, right, especially where we live now in Doylestown, which is just, you know, eight minute drive. Um, there's caves out there? Yeah, well, there's old mines, silver mines oh. and everything. Silver. There's the Silver, silver Creek. Man. Silver bullet. So I tried to track down the story to figure out who this person was, see if we could get in touch with them. And it, um, it's a friend of the guys from Week and Weird, the guy and gal from Week and Weird out of Cincinnati. But it was one of the contributors, Ken Summers, I think, or Ken Simmons. Oh, we'll look in the show notes. Um, his Not friend Ken Simmons. He went to our high school. Okay, <laughs> different Ken. Anyways, he, uh, his friend uh, who went under the pseudonym Andrew told him the story. Okay. So he vouched for it, like this is a real event that happened in Silver Creek. But interestingly, uh, in Norton, where this had happened before, it used to be called Wolf Creek. Yeah, that whole area. Wolf Creek Tavern, where Chris's ex mm-hmm. worked and yeah, in Cleveland Massland, that whole area down through Norton, I'm pretty sure, even down into Warwick, uh, was known as Wolf Creek mm-hmm. way back when. So why? Probably because of werewolves. Or just wolves. Probably, Most likely probably werewolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, interesting. Yeah, anyways, yeah, uh, Silver Creek, yeah, interesting case. We'll link that in the show notes. So that idea of the the window area, the graveyards, the, the you know the the burial mounds. Mm-hmm. What is it with this connection? There's a quote from Linda's book I thought was interesting. She said, "This preference for sacred locales parallels ancient European traditions when it comes to mystery animal appearances. Churches, cemeteries, bridges, and roadsides mm-hmm. also happen to be favorite haunts of the classic black phantom pounds of the British Isles. Oh, black dogs, yeah." We did that on our um, Demon Dog episode. Yeah. Alistair Crowley, Loch Ness, and the Black Shuck. Um, it's interesting to note that bridges also play special roles in folklore as the legendary habitats of trolls or entrances to other worlds. Mm-hmm. And this reminded me of the Loveland Frogman. Oh, yeah. On the bridge. Right. You know, that's the guardrail. It's, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Lifting his froggy leg. <laughs> right. 
ignoring all traffic laws. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because remember we just did the Rougarou we talked about in our last expansion episode in, of New Orleans and... What? Oh, sorry. That's okay. What are you looking at? This is from that video that we just watched. Uh-huh. There's an official werewolf capture permit. Oh, did you read who gave the permit? Hairy face. Hairy face. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It says, it's funny, though, because it says, killing or wounding werewolves is illegal. Remember, it may be a relative or friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that was during the all the hype. Yeah, right after this took funny. place, they were they were selling a lot of this kind I of stuff. I thought it was real. That's great. You're like, what? Got to read the fine print. Hairy yeah. face. <laughs> Pretty great. So we just did the Rougarou, and when I was looking at these uh, dogman sightings, so many, these window areas... Connected to watery areas, swampland, right. marshes, that place where there's something about, I don't know, the, the nature of water itself, maybe it somehow affects the very energetic nature of the area that allows for this, an easier transition be- between yeah. dimensions or realms. I don't know what it is, but there are so many that are in swamps and, and legends and lore like Black Swamp up in Bowling Green area where that used to be a gigantic swamp coming down from Lake Erie and now it's, most of it's dried up now, but in that area all around there, you'd have accounts of these things in lower Michigan, Northern Ohio. Um, but yeah, always the swamps, lakesides, riversides. Well, it's funny because there are water spirits that are native lore. I don't have the tribe in front of me, but these water spirits are known to be formidable, imposing, sort of terrifying, can be terrifying um, with long tails in North America. I mean, who knows? I mean, that's kind of a stretch because I mean, you know, is it a dog band or is it just a you know native? Isn't this all kind of a stretch? That's true. That's <laughs> true. The idea. But it's not. But it's not. Anyway, but speaking of the burial, I wanted to get back to the burial idea, the, the graveyard. I have got a, a quick little story here. Uh, and by the way, this book is full of really good stories and she's collected all these in person. You know, a lot of these kinds of books you find people just grab things from blogs and kind of rewrite them and publish them. She's spent decades collecting these stories from eyewitnesses. So right. these are real people. Receiving letters, emails, and actually meeting face-to-face. Exactly. Um, so this one took place in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, and she titled this one, The Graveyard Bolters. 27-year-old Rick Renzulli was enjoying his early morning drive to his job as a concrete finisher around 5 a.m. In October 1984... Right before you were born. Yeah. A month before. Ooh. You were in the womb. You were about ready to burst from mother. All right. um, (laughs) That's gross. (laughs) Okay. Around 5 a.m. in October 1984, when he came to a curve on a county highway, he was already driving well below the speed limit having just gone through the intersection at Green Bay Road when a large creature burst suddenly from the side of the road and ran directly in front of his 1978 Caravan Suburban. To his astonishment, a second beast followed, identical to the first, except slightly smaller. The area from which they had exploded contained a small cemetery. Both creatures were on all fours but stood higher than the hood of Renzulli's Suburban. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. All fours? No. On fours, yeah. Ugh. Suburbans are big. That's gigantic. That's insane. What are these, like 15 feet tall? That must be. These are giant. Yeah. Werewolf. Dogman. That's beyond. He estimated the first creature was seven to nine feet long, and the second was about three-fifths as big as the first. He caught a glimpse of the first creature's eye shine as the bees passed the headlights. He said... That look, the thing had seemed mean and angry. What? That's weird. That's very weird. So the 15-foot-tall monster demon looked uh-huh. mean and angry when it was running <laughs> next to him. That's even, yeah, if it was like smiling and like, you know, kind of docile looking, it might not be I scary. mean, uh, 
That's a little far. Well, you know, I might have said it like that. Look, the thing had seemed mean and angry. You well, know, I like, get that, but it still seems he might just not have a limited vocabulary. He might not know words. Wait, did like, he say this in the moment, or was this soul was this later to Godfrey? He was said, "Yeah, this is later to Godfrey. Oh, this isn't while he's there." Those no, that has to be exaggerated. The size. Why? I mean, it would be like shaking the ground. And what was it like a ton? No, wait, wait. It's up. It was up to the hood, not the roof of the car. Oh. Oh, I was thinking the roof. No, thinking, no, no, no. They're not uh, elephants. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. No, no, no. Up to okay. the hood. So you got this uh, thing. Oh, so like a picture a timber wolf and then add like a foot. Okay. You know. So let's say you get gigantic standing up. I mean, up. it's big. Yeah. But yeah. I thought it was okay. No, it's not a, yeah. That'd be different. Imagine that and it's nine foot long. So standing up, it's going to be. I mean, be, they could just like crush the oh, car yeah, if it was blow. If it's back went up to the roof of a suburban. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. That's a good movie. I think when it stands, which we'll have to see this. I think when it stands up. Over it's, the roof. It's over the roof. Yeah. The head's over the roof. He noted that the creatures had thick mane-like fur running down the back of their necks and spine, but he couldn't tell whether they had tails. Their snouts seemed longer than a normal dog's muzzle. I didn't think of a werewolf, he said. I thought of evil. It was like something out of a movie. Renzulli immediately locked his door, but the creatures were moving so fast that they were already across the road by then. So he kept quiet until 2003 when he saw Linda's sketches and he's like, oh, the Beast of Bray Road, the sketches she did looked just like what he saw. And that's when he contacted her and said, your picture brought back my memories right away. I clear as hell saw it. When I saw your picture, I thought, God dang, that looks like what I saw. <laughs> Limited vocabulary. You, you hear that a lot where people come forward because they hear other accounts just like it, or they see a depiction just like it, and they're like, I guess I can tell my story now. Yeah. And that's kind of where this started with the Michigan Dog Man, for instance, mm -hmm. the famous song that came out on the radio where they played it, and then people started calling it with their stories, and people were thinking, oh, people are just jumping on this fad because of the song. And in reality, it's quite possible that people felt they could talk about it now because more and more people had shared their stories. What's weird about this phenomenon is like, you know, with, with UFOs and stuff, there's been a ton of those sightings, but... You know, a lot of them aren't close and like there's weird things that can happen in the sky and, you know, there's all sorts of potential phenomenon that could explain it. But when you see something like this, it's yeah. like it, you can't really, there's nothing else except for what it is. Yeah. It's either crazy person, hoax, or this thing is real. Yeah. But even the hoax stuff, like the way they move and how fast they are, it's like they're not human. Right. You know, the, even if it costs them. They're like way bigger than a human a lot of the times and just moving much faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at some of these places where these things are seen are remote. Mm -hmm. Like the idea that there's someone yeah. out it hoaxing. That's ridiculous. You know, I mean, that, I mean, at some point you got to say like, that's more improbable that there are, you know, anytime there's an account of this, it's someone right. in a suit that's out in the middle of the woods and, you know, there's someone's remote there's been camping. sightings yeah. to like the whole phenomenon. Like when I first heard about it, it sounded completely ridiculous to me. Yeah. But like the more we've talked about it and the more you've brought up these stories, it's like there's there's a lot of sightings. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch. There's, I mean, there's enough to for sure say it's not just like a few. Yeah, and if you take it back over to like Europe, I mean, um, Pete, what's his name, Jared? Sampras? Pete Sampras. Peter Sampras. <laughs> Peter Sampras. Peter uh, Sampras here. Uh, Paul Sinclair. You know, he talks about this place where he's from North Yorkshire and he talks about how like the more research he did on this, like it went back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds mm. of years. Even the even the town nearby, uh, when he broke down the old English translation of what it meant, it meant um, Wolfland or something. Man, well, it meant man hound, and that was the name of the town that was like a couple miles away. Well, yeah, and that one sighting that he talks about, he interviews, and we'll link that in the show notes. This woman who saw this thing at uh, kind of like a roundabout or a, or a three way intersection mm -hmm. in Flexton, 
this basically werewolf type creature. And he'd done some research and discovered that in right in that area, in that spot, there was basically it was decreed that they should build, I don't know, was it like 900 AD or something? Very, very old, long time ago, <laughs> where they had built a, basically a sanctuary from savage beasts that had been feeding upon yeah. people. And he was making that suggestion that this might be, of course, you could say it's wolves, bears, whatever, but the fact that it's in this area where there is all this wolf man lore. Uh, that it, there might have been actual sanctuary. Well, yeah, I wish I had the passage in front of me because he, it mentions like wolves and bears, and then it says like other savage beasts. So the idea of being like, what else was there that was ravaging through? And it's funny because John Keel quoted this. It just reminds me of that sort of idea. And he got this from the book of Douche Sagan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure what? I pronounce that. Um, Douche Sagan. Can't be how you say it. It's D E U T C H E. Deutsch, Deutsch, Deutsch Sagen, maybe the strange. This this strange report appears in this year A.D. eleven twenty five. That's the that's the different. That's about a fiery man. Hold on, that's not quite the right one. <laughs> so it was actually it was five hundred years before the eleven twenty five incident of a fiery man in the forest. It says five hundred years before this black period. Quote a plague of frightening and terrible animals swept over the Middle East, killing many people in Armenia and Assyria. The Chronicon of Dennis de Telmar describes them thus, quote, Their muzzle was small and long, and they had great ears like those of horses. The skin on their dorsal spine resembled the bristles of pigs and stuck straight up. It was said that these fearsome beasts easily outwitted and killed many men. They raided villages and carried off children. For some reason, dogs did not bark at them. Whole herds of goats and sheep were devoured by them. They ravaged hundreds of square miles of villages before they vanished forever. When was this? Uh, 500 years previous to 1125 AD. So like... uh, 600 and something? Yeah. That's insane. I mean, not not to say that that's a dog man, but it's a fascinating account of dog-like creatures wiping out. You just wonder, like, what... What has existed on this planet for? Yeah, we live in such a such like a modernized world, you know, where this stuff is just not taken seriously. But especially like, I mean, what if they're like released from hell? Like every once in a while, they just let out like hellhounds, right? On Halloween. Well, it's interesting too to think about like yeah, in ancient times, what kind of things just existed? Right. That was before man had like weapons and like you know. Oh, like serious, serious weapons like gun where powder. you could, you know, murder pretty much anything. Right. Rocket launcher, rocket launcher. World War One, when lasers they, and they could just lay waste to hundreds of men at a time right. with these yeah. Gatling guns and maybe we killed them all off at one point. Well, they did wipe out wolves in England. Mm-hmm. Then I forget what year, but it was a long time ago. They had when they, as soon as they got rifles, basically like, all right, we're getting rid of these guys. Yeah, and just cleared them all out. Go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry. Okay. Well, there is an ancient. Actually, this was discovered in the first century AD. Um, it's a, uh, it's called a torque, um, but it's basically like a, a metal object. Uh, it was found in an undisturbed tumulus, uh, and it clearly shows anthropomorphic figures with wolf heads, men with wolf heads and wolf legs, so dogmen essentially, uh, battling a dragon or serpent. And this comes from first century AD. Wait, wait, wait. Where was this found? Uh, I think it's modern day Iran. So first century AD, uh, Sarmatian. Yeah, Iran is the area nowadays. It's interesting because there was a recent discovery in Pompeii. They uncovered this home in Pompeii and it was like the best preserved locale Mm -hmm. that they've ever discovered. And one of the murals was a dog-headed man. Really? And then of course they said it's probably either because 
the Greeks were really interested in Egyptian culture and maybe it was like a nod to Anubis, or maybe they were just referencing the fabled people of the Sinocephali. Oh. So they're, of course, just using those two examples, but uh, it's just interesting. Well, I thought. It's, it's where they found this twerk, there's also the um, something called the Ir- Iranian uh, Mannerbund, which was essentially a two-legged wolf. And there was another historical thing that was discovered. Uh, it was a, a totem. We'll put that in the show notes, but it's, it's basically like, I think it's uh, part of a sword or something. Dogman sword. Yeah, there's just a lot of like references in history that I didn't know about, about basically two-legged, other than the Sinocephali, especially warriors, wolf men, yeah. wolf warriors. And people say it's allegory, it's metaphor, because they would go berserk. There's the Celtic folklore you talked about Celtic a little bit. folklore, yeah. But anyways, let's get back to some of these stories here. Yeah. Now, I just have one more for my part in relation to graveyards. I thought this one was kind of interesting. Uh, this one's Holy Hill Beowulf. Kruger. From Linda's book. I know, isn't that weird? That's what's interesting, right? Had like seven synchronicities this show. Yeah, it's Dude, crazy. Even researching, there were just so many. Really? Yeah. Can't even count them. It's not a Kruger. <laughs> <laughs> Comes back in. That's so weird. This happened in Hubertus, Wisconsin. Stephen Kruger, a 39-year-old contractor and outdoorsman, worked for the DNR removing deer carcasses from the densely wooded area near... Hubertus and West Bend in Washington County. Around 1.30 a.m. on November 9th, Kruger spotted a small deer carcass that wasn't on his official cleanup list for the evening. It lay on the highway shoulder just across the road from a Roman Catholic shrine and landmark known as Holy Hill. There it is. An imposing structure with twin towers that illuminate the surrounding dark hills and valleys from dusk to dawn. The deer was so recently killed that it was still flexible, and the six-foot-tall Kruger had no problem hoisting it into his truck bed, which was already full of carcasses. He climbed back into the truck cab to fill out the necessary paperwork, but had barely started when he felt the truck rock. Kawump! The jarring motion startled Kruger since the night was calm and still. He took a quick glance around the area lit by the cab and truck bed lights, but didn't see anything. He went back to his work. The The truck immediately rocked again, harder this time. Kruger looked in the driver's side rearview mirror and was shocked to see a creature so tall that its entire torso was visible over the truck bed. He estimated its height at six feet to seven feet tall. It was standing on its hind legs and reaching for the fresh deer carcass with one extended paw. Its head looked exactly like that of a long-muzzled wolf, said Kruger, but the neck and chest area seemed to be thicker and reminded him of a bear. When he realized that the beast was something that he couldn't identify, fear took over and he stomped on the gas pedal. Not stopping until he came into an intersection a few miles away. He sat there for a few minutes, trying to make sense of what he had seen. and deciding what to do, Kruger decided he needed to retrieve the ramp he heard fall out of his truck during the commotion. So he gathered his courage, turned around, and headed back to the scene. Although not 10 minutes had passed since the sighting, the creature carcass and ramp had all vanished. This next part's interesting because um, it gets into the idea of you telling people that you saw this thing and people trying to take that idea and shove it into a category that they're more familiar with. Right. 
Kruger felt duty-bound to report the incident, but the deputy who took his statement at the Washington County Sheriff's Department characterized the creature Kruger saw as a yeti, even though Kruger never said it resembled anything like a Bigfoot. When area news media saw the sheriff's log the next day, they seized on the word yeti, and headlines in all the local newspapers and TV shows mistakenly trumpeted a Sasquatch sighting near Holy Hill. National publicity ensued. Self-proclaimed Bigfoot hunter and radio host Tom Biscardi was one of the first nationally known figures on the scene. Although Kruger was emphatic that what he saw was not Bigfoot, MonsterQuest and Sean Hannity's America both contacted Kruger and featured his sighting, and he continues to be interviewed by various media. His claims were strengthened by large, unidentifiable tracks found by West Bend tracker Mike Lane the next day in a nearby marsh, and by reports from several others who had seen upright, wolf-like creatures in the area within the previous 10 years. I, just, I thought that interesting. was interesting. I've heard that story before. How come that one was taken so seriously? Oh, because they called it a Bigfoot, and people are willing to accept I know, the idea but people, Bigfoot. you know, see... I would say probably pretty commonly there's Bigfoot sightings, right? It might be because the sheriff was involved. It was in his logbook, and you know there was a bit of authenticity because of that. Yeah, someone who worked for the Department of Natural Resources reported to their overhead guy, and somehow someone heard it. Still seems kind of weird that they got like, that much attention without like any evidence, as far as like. Yeah, who knows why? Some like think about Bray Road. I guess because there were multiple yeah, people reporting people. it, but Linda. She said in, in her book, she talks about how if it had been a different news outfit, they might not have reported it because she was new on the scene and was, you know, kind of piqued her curiosity. She had a good relationship with the editor. They allowed her to, to do this story. Huh. But a lot of stories just don't cover this stuff because it sounds crazy. Right. Especially in small towns. Who knows? Sometimes stories get picked up, stories don't. But it, I think it does help that this was a, a DNR official. When was this? Who was cleaning up the road. So he it was an official kind of guy that had the story. And then the sheriff who had wrote it down his logbook, mm-hmm. it got to the press, and then it just climbed up the ranks. Official story with tracks. Yeah. And you don't normally hear tracks. And in the tracks in the marsh, just reminds me of like, he was heading towards that watery dimensional gateway. Right? When did this happen? Happened on November 9th. It always seems to happen in the fall. Right after Halloween. That's the time, man. I'm not sure the year, it was November 9th, but it had to be before 2006. Yeah, because she she then lists five different accounts that took place previous to this the past 10 years, starting in 2005. Probably back then, I think it probably had a better chance. Like now there's just so much news. Uh, yeah. It could just get lost. Thanks, and, internet. You know what I mean? Like back then you had to have reporters go and do a thing on yeah. it. Yeah, and, it was a slow, slower news time. And it was, it was harder to get like probably, okay, this happened, you know, go check it out sort of thing. Yeah. Where now, every, you know, there could be 5 million and... You know, 20 people might report on it, but it's like buried in the internet somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. In a weird way, you things could go viral easier yeah. when you had TV. Yeah, because if it was picked up. Four networks were going to carry the right. same story and there mm-hmm. was nowhere else to hear anything. And just the fact that it was on the news was a story. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so the, I mean, those were just some examples. There's so many of those accounts that take place during sacred sites or around sacred sites, burial mounds, uh, Eating waterways. Eating roadkill. I mean, it seems like they, there is something where they must feed when they're in this, at least this realm, if they are some sort of transdimensional mm-hmm. entity. I mean, another example took place in Columbus or near Columbus, central Ohio. Same kind of thing where um, a truck driver, 
identifying himself as Scott, called coast to coast to describe what he saw, which he described as a werewolf sighting. While he was driving his rig one night, his headlights illuminated something chilling. What he saw appeared to be some kind of large beast crouched on the side of the road eating a deer. Yeah. He described it looking like a cross between an ape with a dog's head, or the werewolf creature specifically from the Van Helsing movies. Was his closest description. Oh, right. Didn't he say like it had abs and back with the abs? He didn't mention again. that. He was a Rougarou. Back to our expansion. Jeremy's obsessed with animals that have abs. Yeah, for those of you who who aren't expansion members yet, check out the New Orleans episode we did where we talked about the Rougarou. Or the sorry, it was the alligator man, the it was both. Parlengua. Yeah. Both of them. Parlengua. The abs that that thing has. The bloody abs. <laughs> yeah, let's focus on the abs. <laughs> we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey everybody, we have a spine-tingling expansion preview coming up for you. Head over to believehold.com and sign up for the extra content if you're interested. Before that, we have a few patrons to thank, people that have contributed a little extra to keep the show going. We have River McDonald, Trisha White, Angie Caballero, Denise Williams, Lauren Boudreau, Tarnia Atwell, and a special thanks to Connor Leedke and Lewis Stark for helping us out. We really appreciate you guys. Oh, and one more guy, Nick Daniel. Nick Daniel. Believe. Thanks, buddy. We love you. All right, so on this expansion preview, we cover real werewolf hideouts and a hilarious and awesome real interview with a 439-year-old vampire was super fun and really interesting. So if you're interested in hearing this expansion episode, beliefful.com, check it out. You won't be disappointed. Love you guys. Access granted. Thank you. Because, you know, it's a bit spooky alone at night in the woods. So that's how it kind of ends, this first encounter, and Keith doesn't really buy into it. But... It all comes home for Keith. It's his turn to experience oh. this thing. So one early snowy November morn, Keith decides we need some donuts. So he gets in his truck, <laughs> as you do. As one does. Delicious. And he heads out. And on his way out of the property, he notices in his rearview mirror two glowing eyes staring at him. He immediately slams on the brakes, gets out of the car. The thing's gone but there's tracks. The curious thing about the tracks is that not only are they 14 inches long, that's a big foot, and not only do the ends of each toe have what look like a claw mark. No, razor sharp nails. But the tracks start on the roof. What? This point, Keith is ready to listen to Diane. I'd be going to get my gun is what I would be doing. Well, this is what he does. So he gets, he calls his friend Dennis to come over. Or do that, or call your friend Dennis. And we'll <laughs> to get loaded up, hunting rifles or something. They're going to track down whatever this thing is, because they can follow the tracks. So in the dark of the night, or the early morn, I should say, they head towards the woods where the tracks lead. And as the tracks continue, they find themselves at an old isolated cabin. Oh, I remember this story. In the woods. Oh, creepy. And there's no one there. The door's locked. This is creepy as hell. Yeah. So they walk there? Yeah. 
I think it was a, a build, like a building or cabin shed thing or whatever, pretty close to their property. They didn't know it was there. Right. And they found, by following these tracks, they find this thing the hidden in the forest. The lead to this cabin? To the door of the cabin. And no one seems to be home. So... Weird. So Keith and Dinah are from the area, but the property they're not very familiar with, but their dad is, and the dad knows whose cabin this is. Oh. At least he knows where the guy works. Hot twist. He tells them that, yeah, this guy works down at a, a tire shop in town. So Keith and Dennis are thinking, okay, well, we got to at least get a look at this guy, right? So they concoct this little plan. They take a tire in under the pretenses of it needs repaired. They bring it into the tire shop. They meet the manager at the desk. The manager calls for George to help. George turns out to be the name oh, of, course. of this man. It's always a George. And they knew it was him because as George goes to grab the tire, he looks at Keith and Dennis and they lock eyes. And it's at this point that Keith notices that his eyes, he describes them as an intense gold color. And he describes it as they felt like they were almost hypnotized, mesmerized by this guy. This guy is six foot five inches tall, oh, man. really Jeez. lanky, golden, almost glowing eyes with a mesmerizing what kind of... gold eyes look like? I guess just think like yellow wolf eyes. Okay, yeah. You know? So it felt like George knew who they were. So he never came out of the back. He just rolled the tire from the darkness of the back of the room. It rolls That's out. That's pretty telling right there if he just fixes the tire and then rolls it from the dark corner of the back of the garage so he doesn't have to be seen by these guys. It gets weirder. What is really strange is that a few months later, they find out that George has died. And at this point... Keith's friend Dennis gets the idea. We're going to get a look at that cabin. Halloween. Happy spooky times. Happy spooky times. All right, so let's wrap this up with uh, some interesting concepts. I think this is going to solve the mystery, this theory. Um, and this was given to Linda by a source. And you can find this story in her book that we've mentioned, Real Werewolves, True Encounters in Modern America. But I, th I really want your guys' thoughts on this, John and Jeremy, on this one in particular. Because I think this could solve the, the Dogman thing forever. Forever. You ready? Ever, ever. So in Linda's book, uh, she titles this Alien Werewolves from Space. A remote viewer's take. Oh. And I think this is going to solve it. I am eagerly waiting. In the course of hunting for out-of-the-box explanations for these creatures, I have consulted a few unorthodox sources. One theory that came my way suggested the tall, hairy ones may have a logical purpose in hanging out near strategic military sites, which is a common thing. Radar stations and... Yeah. They are themselves military spies of a different sort. In 2005, a man contacted me who had been trained in a form of telepathy called remote viewing, which we've talked about before, and who had worked as a consultant to the U.S. government. He said that he had conducted remote viewing sessions of unknown upright canines and had perceived some unique things about them. He went on to explain that our Earth has cycled through several distinct geographical epochs, epochs, since it was formed and that during each one of these periods, its surface was totally remade. In one of those epochs, before humans arrived, huge werewolf-like aliens landed here. 
and a scattered group of their commando-style scouts remain, waiting patiently for our race to demolish itself so that they may inherit the earth. The man said that when he viewed the appearance of these alien canids, his first thought was that they resembled Anubis, a description I've heard from an active service member at a base. He added that they were highly intelligent and that their fur contained symbiotic bioluminescent bacteria that gave them a faint shimmering look when they moved. It is true that many witnesses have described the upright canids fur as silver-tipped or streaked with white. He also said the bacteria release a hydrogen sulfide gas product that can account for the unpleasant odor some witnesses notice. Makes sense. And they have a warrior cast that allows them to support bio-armor under their fur. Wow. <laughs> that explains their tolerance to bullets. Bullets don't work on me. They get from place to place via portals resembling cones of darkness, which aids their ability to elude capture. I am very aware that this scenario sounds far-fetched, but the remote viewer has stayed in contact with me. I know he is and believe he is a responsible person. He said he did stop viewing the creatures because they were able to detect his psychic intrusion and viewed him right back. He said it was not a pleasant experience. So yeah, I think huh. that's probably what it is. <laughs> not well, impossible. You know, it's kind of funny hearing that description about the... Um, I mean, yeah, obviously this is definitely makes a lot more sense out there. more than anything when it comes to upright, futuristic right. dogmen. Well, it could be that, you know, that part of this is true that they've been here forever as possible. If they are like, right, instead of being transdimensional, they come from another world. If that's true. It seems like maybe they're in small numbers and they just can't really make themselves well, it's, it's, known. Yeah, it's funny because it reminded me of you talking about the sinusephali and like when you get those examples of dogmen that are wearing trench coats, grumbling by roadside, right. smoking cigarettes. Yeah, I, I think this is... Probably not the case, but it's. I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, who knows? I mean, in the crazy world of possibilities, well, it's funny because it's a possibility. Yeah, there was the, they're here. You know what says that that isn't a possibility? The silver white stripes stuck out to me just because that's the Dwyer that we mentioned mm -hmm. from like 1944. It's real. 1965. You hear that sometimes. That kind of like that. There's these white streaks in the legs or in the fur. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of things in that kind of explanation that ring true with the dog man, but. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. The thing that seems the most outrageous aspect of that is the idea that this happened millions of years ago, that this alien dogman race came here and they left like sporadic packs of their people. Mm -hmm. But I guess if they live forever, if they're immortal, it wouldn't be that boring to hang out yeah, for a couple a few million, million years. <laughs> right. Just to what wait for What do they do humans? during the day though? Why wouldn't they just take out humans? Why, why wait for them like, to end themselves? Judge you know? Judy or something? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Wapner's court. What else are you going to do? Um, I do wonder what, you know, like what does Yeti do all day? <laughs> you know, it's probably got stuff. I mean, what? Listen to podcast, probably. I mean, I mean, do you, I mean. If they're highly intelligent, that's what I'm thinking, you know, like. Well, just in a, but in a different way. Eat? It's not like they're going you know, to write a novel, or but they might have an intelligence to just... What, well, if they're talking to each other, they're obviously like... Communicating? Yeah, but they... they wear trench coats. Well, the, some do. I think that's the sign of stuff. Well, what do they do all day? Plot? No, though, I, think, I think those are... They're a lower cast of... Uh, I think they're just relegated to having to try to survive underground in society. The sign of cephalo, the trench coat, cigarette smoking dogmen, I think they're in a shitty place. Because they can't just walk around on the street, but they don't have superpowers. They're, so they're not attacking people with glowing red eyes. They're just like they're trying just to frustrated. Yeah, they're trying to stay like low key, you know, like uh, Ninja Turtles without the superpowers. Man, I'm around. really tired of being here. This is really boring. I, I can't really <laughs> mingle with anyone, and we're alone. <laughs> uh, they just probably just go to furry conventions. 
There you go. Like, great costume. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the one other thing I was going to mention about this weird explanation you brought up about the werewolves from space is there are actually a lot of, like with Bigfoot accounts, there are a lot of times lights seen in the sky or even a craft oh, yeah. shortly before or after the dogman sighting or the mm-hmm. you know wolfman entity sighting. So there could be some connection there. Well, there, this goes back to what we talked about earlier, what you know, Nick Redfern mentioned and what John Keels talked about, or Charles Fort, the idea that all these things can be a sort of smoke screen for just some darker forces that want to feed on fear. You know, whether it's um, right. a wolfman attacker, a giant mothman type creature, or a dragon in the 1100s. Like, right. are they just different versions of right. the same sort of fear-inducing spirit? Demons. Demons. Well, we did not get to uh, some things that I wanted to talk about here, but I'm going to mention now because we'll do them in the expansion and uh, a little bit of a real werewolf history, a little yeah. bit of like actual historical. We talked about a little bit of them, but there's more like the wolves of Osiri or Osiri, uh, the Irish werewolf legends and where that comes from, the warriors there and the God that they worshiped and how that connects to Halloween. Exactly. And I didn't mm-hmm. get to that, but it'll be in the expansion. I'm sorry, guys. Um, the other thing I was going to talk about, I wanted to recount that story. I think probably the best modern werewolf story that took place in London, Ohio. Oh, the cabin. The cabin. The chains. The cabin and the chains that were found. And since we don't have time to read it here, I'm going to link in the show notes where you guys can find the episode. It, I think it was initially reported on Paranormal Witness. Um, oh, it's a good show. TV show. So I'm going to link One that. One of the few good paranormal shows yeah. out there. So if you guys aren't expansion members and you can't sign up right now for expansion, I'll put a link in the show notes where you can at least find that episode. I think they have to pay for that though. <laughs> That's so better to pay for our have, show. They might have like a sci-fi <laughs> subscription that's or something. That's true, that's true. Uh, but I'll link it anyway. But that'll be in the expansion. I think we're also going to get into some some real Halloween-y stuff yeah, I in wanna, the expansion. Some real... We should keep it Halloween-ish, so do like a sort of monster mashup. I've got a really good uh, tale about a 439-year-old uh, vampire named Elizabeth who gives an interview to an author looking for stories from real vampires in 1979. So we'll get into we'll get into that. Real vampires and werewolves in the yeah. expansion. Real accounts. Maybe some other Halloweenish type stuff. We're going to keep it in the spirit of the season. So make sure to check that out, guys. Maybe even some vampires in their own words. Maybe yeah. we'll get a little bit of that. <laughs> um, oh, a special shout out to Edgar. Oh, yeah, Edgar and Alex. Edgar and Alex, she wrote in and said it would be a surprise if we said, hey, so surprise. Hey, We're going to get 100 emails saying, hey, can you surprise my boyfriend? Yeah, don't do that, but this one was special. <laughs> so it was the first one to ask us for like a special yeah, shout out. Yeah, they've never, so never happened before. They, yeah, they're into this stuff and uh, they seem like cool folks. So, uh, hey, guys, special shout thank, out. Thank your girlfriend, Alex, Alexander. Thanks for being a patron. Speaking of which, we want to give out some thank yous to uh, ladies' patrons. Go for it. So thank you guys. Today's patron shout-out starts with Katarnia Bianchi. Cole Stone. Mm-hmm. Dennis. What what? Briss. Boom. JP. Yep. Good name. Cody Mullins. Nice. Yeah. Stephanie Whitney. Wonderful. Jade. Ooh, sounds like a Mortal Kombat character. Finish him. Finish her. Swan Curative. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Kelly Brown. Okay. Lynn. Also, thanks to Casey Winters. Casey, what's up? Thank you. Adam Gustafson. What's up, Adam? Right. Thanks for uh, sending a little message. Glad you're liking the show. Ryan Roberson. Ryan, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. GE Last. Yes. Last GE. The last one. Caden Thompson. Caden. Rhett Barrett. Rhett, what's up, bud? Taylor Minky. Taylor. Or Mink. Minky. Mink. Minky? Thanks, buddy. Oh, Taylor. Yeah, Taylor. Okay. Hello, Nord, I believe. Alex Barton. 
Hi, Alex. Alexandra. And Edgar. And finally, Aaron Boggs. Hi, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Same name as a neighbor we once had back in the day. Growing up as little children. <laughs> we had a name with the We're all, We already had the best Halloweens ever. Stonewood yeah. Street. All good people. Thank you guys so much for signing up. Very much appreciate it, guys. It definitely keeps the show moving forward. Going and growing. Absolutely. Yeah. So we can keep doing this and keep bringing you some weird stuff and weird stories. And thank you for everyone sending in your stories. We got another listener episode coming up down the line That's going to be epic. Yeah, we, we've been getting a lot. A lot of really interesting ones, too. Like, we should write a book some point. Oh, yeah. it's in the works. We're going to be I'm setting up kind of a catalog, an archive online too of all of our... Oh, that'd be cool. Yes. Yeah, that'd be great. Easily referenced, taggable, you know, so we've, I've been creating a spreadsheet for all this. That would and, be really good to have up there. Yeah, because we we've had so many great I know. We've unique a, stories really have written had in. quite a um, inpouring of mm-hmm. unique accounts. From giant bird people to candy gramps. There's a lot of people out there that experience unexplainable things. Amazing amount of gnome sightings. Which is fascinating. Yeah, I know. Weird. Yeah, gnome sightings. And uh, speaking of this, by the way, speaking of this archive we're building, uh, if anybody out there, you, you're listening, you've sent in a story before, and if you're interested, we'd love to get more details as far as like name, place, time period. If you're open to a full name, if not, that's cool too. But we, if you want to come back and give us a little more info, we'd like to make it searchable for other researchers to find accounts to, you know, connect some dots. Flesh stuff out. Not sure if you guys responded to the person that sent in the short experience about the confetti falling from the ceiling? I did. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. I wondered if you guys had ever heard anything like that. Well, I I wrote back, uh, it reminded me, I mean, there is the, I forget what it's called. I don't know if it's, (laughs) yeah, I don't know if it's object manifestation phenomenon or instant manifestation, like the idea of disappearing object phenomenon. Before you go further, what was it? Yeah, I was just going to save it for listener stories, but we only got a little bit of kind of his experience, so I followed up for more information. I don't know if he's emailed back yet uh-huh. as of the recording of this episode, but yeah, I wanted to know more because essentially he was sitting in his kitchen one day, if I recall correctly, and looked up at the ceiling and noticed what looked like falling silver confetti. Mm-hmm. And just the weirdest thing, it's thought he was, you know... Hallucinating. Yeah, or just, you know, I don't know what he thought exactly, but he didn't bring it up to his, was his wife or his girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Um, and then didn't say anything because he didn't, you know, want to sound crazy and didn't whatever. Uh, but just was like a very weird thing. And then same thing happened to his partner. Yeah, she sat in the same place in the kitchen like a week later, sometime later, looked up at the ceiling and said, "How weird! It, look, it looks like I'm seeing silver confetti falling." Yeah, just a weird. weird. I don't know if it's a hallucinatory experience or uh, some kind of. I mean, Let me check your gas lines. That's a very specific thing yeah, know, for them to both weird. experience yeah, that. It definitely seems like something. Yeah, I would like to look into that. There is stuff called like, um, I mean, there's gold dust. Uh, the, it's called glory dust or something. It's where in, in churches and spiritual places, uh, there can be gold or silver, a dust that manifests. Really? It's supposed to be a spiritual kind of manifestation. Oh, and But there's also like in poltergeist phenomena, you hear about the coins falling, manifesting out of nowhere in thin air. So there, there is an Rain. interesting kind of experience, this phenomena of instant manifestation that I, I'd like to look into. But so anyways, maybe we'll get more information from them. Okay. We can talk about an illustrious story. And we've had a guy ask us about uh, imaginary friends, if we would know oh, something right, like that, because yeah. he apparently has some stories. So oh, we're like waiting on those. those. Yeah. Just got some great stories coming in. So um, stay we tuned. We try listeners. to answer everything. I think we do a pretty good job, but I mean, occasionally we might miss someone here or there. So if we miss you and you don't hear back from us, you can try again. Yeah. Yeah. Also check your junk mail. Um, yeah. 
I think sometimes our messages might be entering junk mail folders. As Jeremy got one from me today, I happened to send from brothers at beliefful.com and it ended up in his junk mail. So if you ever wrote to us, you didn't hear back, either check your junk folder or write to us again. And we're doing it all ourselves right now. We don't have any anybody helping us. So if it takes some time, sorry guys, it's a lot of work, but we do it because we love you and we love the whole and we love all this weird, crazy stuff that exists within and without Sad our world. Hole. Within said hole. Within said hole. <laughs> well, happy Halloween, guys. Yes. Make sure you stay safe on Make those sure streets. Make sure you take the time to enjoy your candy. Mm-hmm. As much as you want to give healthy treats to your neighbor kids, it's just not worth it. They're not going to like you. They're just going to resent your house. Twix. Just give them, you know, it's mm-hmm. one day of the year, just give them a Twix. Yeah. You know, they'll survive it. <laughs> it's important. Yeah, I'm sure there's a ton of our listeners that are like, I just want to give them apples. <laughs> hey, you never know. Yeah, do, uh, do enjoy Halloween. It's going to be a uh, full moon which I guess Uh-oh. is rare on Halloween, and it's a blue moon, which is a doubly rare for Halloween, so who knows what might occur when the veil lifts. Right before the election, too. Crazy. Yeah. It's going to be an intense Double night. scary time. I know. <laughs> the scary place the world is in. Yes. But we're glad you're here with us in the hole. Enjoy it with us. Yes. Enjoy the cavalcade of strangeness. Panoply. Nice to see you, as always. And we'll see you next time. On The Belief Hole. what the most frightening thing in the world is. It's fear. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Green sky at morning. Neighbor take warning. Green sky at night. Neighbor take flight. Whatever you do, don't fall. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Beware the moonlights. What's your favorite scary movie? As soon as that car leaves in the morning, I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Nobody knocks off an old man in my neighborhood and gets away with it. 